Well, let's get started, shall we? I've got a good history here at Community Bible. Some of you know that. Most of you here know that. If you don't, you'll learn a little bit of my story and what connected me to CBC many years ago. And I've got some good friends here that have been with me on this journey. Uh, Some of them have been in classes and thinking through some of these issues with me over the last uh, particularly four or five years. Some of you have been in classes already, like Rob and and, uh, Jeff and and others um, who have been in some classes. I have my wife here tonight, Karen, so some of you have met her. Most of you know her. You know I don't deserve her. Typically, I would thank my wife last in terms of thank yous because that's what most people would do. And she is certainly my best friend. And uh, um, there's another person here tonight that in terms of being a brother in Christ and and really wrestling with some of these issues that we're going to wrestle with over the next 12 weeks, and you'll hear from him because I want him to speak up, is my friend Steve Terrell. And I don't take this lightly. Y'all have a really good friend that you can get to know well and talk about the Lord with and you can share things and and he can say, Jimmy, I don't think that's right. And you're not offended by that. Well, you need to have somebody like that. I hear that from Karen all the time. But, but still, you need to have somebody like that that's a brother or sister in Christ. Or somebody that says, I think that's really good. I think you're on target. So I thank you, Steve, and I know that we're on this journey together. Some of you talking to Paul thought about is this going to be put into a book? And, you know, part of the reason I'm here, I don't have a book in the plans. I'm not planning to become a big author. I'm, what I'm planning to do is try to get this material in a way that makes sense, not just to Community Bible Chapel. Hopefully it'll make sense to you. But we're dealing with a big issue in the evangelical church today, a huge issue. And if you're not aware of it, you will be pretty soon. By by the end of tonight, you'll understand more of what I'm talking about. And so as you listen over the next 12 weeks, if you can listen with ears for yourself, certainly, and ears to make sure I'm making sense, but also ears for the body of Christ to help me think through these things, so that it can be presented in a way that will have an impact on the Christian community. A call to one another ministry, gospel life in the body of Christ. Anybody who's been in a class of mine will look at that outline and say, well, Jim, that's way too short. That's just two items. You usually have 20. I know. I've been listening to my wife a lot. So, and to Steve. We're going to talk about the goals, and we're going to talk about the first Worldview belief, number one. Now, this is a class on what we should believe about a subject matter. And I'm going to lay out five worldview beliefs. At least that's how many I have right now. (laughs) Maybe by the end of 12 weeks, I'll have another one. But I have five. And so you're going to be able to anchor, you're going to be able to think through them as hopefully a stepping blocks from one belief to the next, to the next, to the next. And so if somebody asks you something about these things, you're going to be able to answer them. So here are the three goals. Identify, discuss, and validate the core biblical beliefs that should direct our ministry to one another in the trials of life. And I've already told you there are five of them. What are five core beliefs that should direct our ministry and how we to one another in difficult things? I'll explain that in a minute. And then I want to compare these beliefs that are biblical with beliefs that lie behind why we, the Christian community as a whole, embrace professional Christian and biblical counseling today. What's going on, as you read in the overview, that's made calling a counselor on the number one button on your speed dial on your phone? And if you don't understand that's a problem, just ask. How many of you understand that that's 
an issue, at least common, that most people that counseling, everybody understand that? And the third area, to address the following question. So we're going to compare beliefs, all right? But that sounds like a, a theological belief comparison class. Third question is, how competent are we ourselves to minister during trials? So, ministry belief number one. As we think about the first belief, how competent would you be to call on somebody like this? Who, who, would, who would you call? Anybody? I'd call one of the best friends I have. Okay, somebody you know well. Who else would people call? Who else would you pick up the phone and call? You hear about this, you know somebody. Maybe it's yourself. What would you do? Call on the Lord, of course, right? Maybe not call on anybody. It's your own burden. You'll fix it. How about this one? It's a little bit more difficult now. Severe anxiety. Now we, somebody can't sleep at night. They're overwhelmed with anxiety. They can't sleep. Who would you call? Or how about this one? Now we've got some terminology. OCD. What is that? Everybody know what that means? Disorder. Right. You competent to help there with obsessive compulsive disorder? It's a hard words, aren't isn't it? Now, I could list a bunch of them up there. In the last year alone, I've talked to people that have been involved with having a child that was very involved with sexual immorality with a sibling, extreme alcohol addiction, sexual immorality and struggling with pornography and all kinds of immoral behavior of a young man, um, extreme anger, so it's become an abusive situation, same-sex attraction issues. This is a mess. So what we're talking about in a call to one another ministry in this class and in gospel life in the body of Christ is dealing with this kind of stuff, the tough things. I think the church does pretty well with church dinners and meals and hospital visitations and some of the easier things, don't you think? I mean, we're pretty good with that. I mean, we could be better. All of us could be. We're good at writing thank you notes. And I think we're relatively good at bearing the easy burdens. But when these things hit us, that's hard. Now, why is that? Seventy years ago, we took care of these things, right? Or, or, or are these new? So we're going to explore some of that. And, of course, the other issue, right before I tell you what the first worldview belief is, not only who would you call, but what are the pressing issues that go on behind the call? What are you trying to resolve? I would suggest that each one of us, and particularly within the evangelical church, have a built-in, prescriptive, pre-foundational view that when you put your finger on the dial tone and make a call, you have certain beliefs that you're holding to as to who's competent, who can help, what questions you want, and exactly what kind of relief you want for the problem you're facing. And those foundational, prescriptive beliefs that we have need, need to be understood because I believe a lot of them, when taken in the lens of Scripture, we'll see that, that, that they're wrong, that there's a biblical alternative to those beliefs that would direct how we might make those calls. And as believers, I think the core of what makes where we struggle is our understanding of what it means to live what I'm going to call a gospel life. What does that mean as a believer to live a life that is built on the truth of the true gospel. So this is my first belief. Now keep in mind that we're going. We're talking about calls. We're talking about who you're going to call. How you're going to get help. That's going to be a common core. And some of these things we're going to be able to explore a lot of different verses and doctrines. But a lot of it, I want it to be pragmatic. I was talking to Barbara yesterday or day before, and she said, Jim, is this going to help me? 
be able to minister better? Well, I hope so. Because if I think everybody who's here wants to minister more effectively to other people. A Christian has been given life in Christ. Who we call for help and the answers we are seeking are significantly influenced by our understanding of the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, a Christian has been given life in Christ And this resurrection life in the sun is fundamentally different than life under the sun. This is our starting point. This is our starting point in the class. We're going to have two different types of life. Life in the sun, life in Christ, life under the sun. Or life in Adam, you might say, right? So what am I talking about? Life. There are two words, and I'm, though I've taken some Greek, so this is it's always dangerous in a topical study with a word study, but I think I'm going to be able to show that these two words are pretty consistently used to represent life under the sun, suke, and life in the sun, zoe. So I could say, you know, life under the sun and life in the sun for the next 12 weeks and it would be okay. I could say gospel life, resurrection life, and you guys would understand that. But I have reasons to say suke and zoe, and I think you're going to see that, and I want you to be thinking about that. And by the end of tonight, you're going to understand what is suke and what is zoe. That'll be clearly in your mind, and you're going to see the difference between the two, and you're going to see how relevant it is to understand the difference and how relevant it is to understand the difference not just for yourself and how you live the Christian life, but also how you minister to others. Have you guys seen those terms before? You've heard them? Anybody? Yeah, well, yes, for me. <laughs> now, there's, there's, there's a third word that's used in um, the New Testament for life. It's bios, and it's used just about nine times. It has to do with a manner of living, um, I think, like First Timothy two two, that we might lead a more quiet and peaceful bios life. So it's more of a a manner of living, and it's used nine times. It's mainly a suke related kind of verse. Old Testament. What do you think? Anybody ever look at this in the Old Testament? Yes, life under the sun. Life under the sun. That's exactly right, Robert. So we know that. Certainly, the concepts are in the Old Testament. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, we don't have the distinction that we have with Suke and Zoe in the New Testament. I find this fascinating. I find it actually compelling, and you'll see more as we go into it tonight. I think our Lord wanted desperately for us to have a clear understanding of the difference of these two words. Because you can use the same word in the Old Testament, um, chuma, or I, we looked at that. I forgot what it was. But that same word can relate to talking about the eternal life nature of God. And it's also used that Abraham lived X number of life. He lived so, His life was so long. So it has to do with the temporal life as well as eternal life. Well, we're going to start with suke. We're going to spend some time in understanding that. Most of the evening will be on Zoe. What is suke? It's breath. It means breathing in and out life. And according to Strong's Concordance, it's used 104 times in the New Testament. So first we're going to read 104 verses. If you open your... No, I'm not going to do that. But let's read three or four, shall we? 1 John 3.16 We know love by this, that he laid down his life his suke for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Physical life, right? Certainly not laying your spiritual life down. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete 
was deficient in your service to me. Suke life, temporal life, laying down your physical life. Now, all of these illustrations are talking about things that, that lead to death. But Suke is talking about life under the sun, as Rob said, Ecclesiastes. So what are some good examples of Suke? You know, life under the sun. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Seventh game of the World Series is definitely Suke, and it's painful. Painful. It would be more painful if Kansas City loses, but Steve will be very excited if San Francisco wins because he is a Northern California liberal. Um, I'm sorry, that's right. You're not at all. You're not at all. So that's one good. What else is? What else would be life under the sun? I mean, think through Ecclesiastes. What What else are things that are under the sun? Re- hmm? Working. Working. Work. What else? Eating, yeah, eating, drinking, marrying, marriage. Is marriage suke? Why do you say that? <laughs> My wife might be offended, but. Why would you say marriage is an under-the-sun activity? But give me another reason why marriage could be viewed as suke. There's no marriage in heaven. Isn't that interesting? There's no marriage as we understand it in heaven. It's designed for a purpose on earth. doesn't mean there aren't relationships in heaven with those that we're married to. But marriage... Is suke. Now that's a little bit disturbing, isn't it? It's important, though. I mean, it's very important. <laughs> what else is suke? Yeah, earthly love, communication. How about how about affection and and how about um, honors and and rewards that you get and and diplomas on the wall that you've earned from education. How valuable is that in heaven? It, it has value on earth. I'm not saying suke is bad here. We're not saying it's bad. We just want to understand the difference between. Now, all suke was good until Genesis 3, wasn't it? And then when Genesis 3 came along, then we had sin come in. And so even the best of under the sun is tainted with sin, isn't it? Well, these categories of suke are, um, keep those in mind as we move into Zoe. What is Zoe? Zoe, resurrection life, vital union with Christ, eternal life as distinguished from temporal life. It refers to both resurrection life on earth before physical death and complete resurrection life in heaven after physical death. That might be a new thought for some of you who haven't thought about resurrection life on earth. And according to Strong's Concordance, it's used 281 times in the New Testament. That's pretty compelling, isn't it? Now, that's not just Zoe, which is the noun form of it, but Zao, Z-A-O. If you're using your Strong's Concordance, and uh, there's a wonderful little app on an iPhone you can spend $3 for with Strong's Concordance, and it's great. But Zao is the verb form of Zoe. So between the verb and the noun, 281 times in the New Testament, and no, we won't read all 281 of those. But, but it, I encourage you to get your Strong's Online Concordance. You you will not do one word study that will bring you more joy than looking up life-oriented verses in the New Testament. It, it, you'll just, I remember uh, Renee did some study on it at one time, a couple others did, and they just, there were texts flying back and forth, you know, throughout the weeks of, oh, I found another verse, and it was so exciting. So, you guys know this person, fairly recent comment. As Jesus says, you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus continually called people to him and to come after, follow him. The focus of our lives must coincide with the focus of Jesus' call and the focus of the scriptures themselves. 
life. Zoe life is only found in Jesus. And the scriptures do not only mean eternal life after death by the word life. All life now and then is found only in Jesus. In him is life. Truth and life came into being in Jesus. The knowledge of him is all we need for life and godliness. On and on the scriptures point. Love orb. Now the subtitle of our talk tonight, uh, of our class for 12 weeks, is a call to one another ministry. Gospel life in the body of Christ. But for tonight, we're going to make this be a little more personal. We're going to get here. We're going to get to the body of Christ. That's where we're going. How do we minister within the body of Christ? But to get there, we need to see about this life in Christ ourselves, personally, who we are in Christ, to understand who we are in the body of Christ. So we're going to explore these two concepts, a call to life, life in the Son. Besides helping me spend a lot of time thinking through these issues, Steve Terrell came up with some of the artwork here and there, and this is one. Christian has been given life in Christ. Now, in Christ, in the Son, before we go into Zoe, let me just take a minute here on what it means to be in Christ. Because we're going to talk a lot about Zoe. And I've got this up. I've got it just as more of a placeholder in your PowerPoint. And the PowerPoint, I'll email it to you. Or I guess we'll put it on the CBC website. Can we do that too? Maybe. Or if not, I can email it to people. So we'll let you know. But to be in Christ means union with Christ. It is symbiotic. That means it's about us in Christ and Christ in us. And they're both important. Now, it is said, I think John Hanna taught that the words, the two words in Christ, he believes are the key to Paul's theology. Justification by faith is important, no doubt. But being in Christ, he said, is overwhelmingly used over and over in Paul's 13 epistles, 160 sometimes. And some of you know the epistle that's used in the most. Which one is that? Ephesians, that's right. And if you want to know the place it's used in Ephesians the most, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So if you want to read what I think are the most, I mean, Romans 8 is good. I know there's a lot of great chapters and great verses, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is packed full of in Christ. Wonderful, wonderful verses. We could spend 12 weeks on what it means to be in Christ. But for the sake of the class, we're zeroing in on life in Christ. So what does that mean specifically? So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Who do we go to other than Christ? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So each of these, each of these uses of Zoe are talking about this union, this, this symbiotic union with Christ. Now this gets a little bit more detailed. How do we have that? Well, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what do we see in this verse? We see that live is being used as a current item. It's not future, is it? Those other verses were a result of being born again. And we have eternal life. This is the same word Zoe. We live Zoe in the flesh. In the suke. In the flesh. And this is implied suke, any 
who loved me and gave himself up, gave up his life for me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. The Father has Zoe life. He gives to the Son Zoe life. If we have union with Christ, what do we have? Yeah. And can we be separated from that? No. There were 281 of these verses. So obviously I picked a handful of them. I am the resurrection and I find you could... In your mind, you're thinking through all of these verses. The important part of this here is to understand that life in Christ, this gospel life, is fundamentally moving us from being dead, dead spiritually, to being alive. And it's about our union with Christ in his resurrection. We were buried with Christ and we were raised with Christ. So keep those two things in mind particularly as we start talking next week about the competitor to this gospel life. Because if you go to a local Methodist church here in Richardson, you won't hear this, will you? This is not a gospel that's preached, is it? Dead? Dead from what? Aren't we all going to heaven? What are you talking about? There were people at Pilgrim's Progress this weekend that were wondering about Christian's burden on his back. What is that? You know, they don't know. Don't understand. The clarity of the gospel around this first point is designed to be around the fact that we have life in Christ. And this life is, is, is not about some futuristic thing. It's a union we have with Christ and it's a union we have right now. And it's a union that if we don't have, We're going to die. But wonderfully, the New Testament doesn't just leave us with word studies. It doesn't just walk us through looking up 280 uses of the word Zoe and doing word studies. Zoe is all over the New Testament. So let's look at some other ways that this is reinforced and see how relevant this might be. How about in the life of Christ? For example, the temptation. What was Satan really trying to do to our Lord? He wanted him to turn him from Zoe to Suke. Aren't you hungry? I mean, you haven't eaten for 40 days. I mean, you've got to be hungry. I mean, man has got to eat, Jesus. Isn't that how we think? I mean, come on, Jim. It's about food. What? Ridiculous. Are you saying we're not supposed to eat? Well, of course, God knows that we, if, if, we, if we don't eat, what will happen? We'll die. Well, what happens if we're a believer and we don't eat and we die? We go to heaven. So, so how bad is it if we don't eat? I mean, ultimately. Now, it's foolish not to eat. I mean, we know that. I'm not trying to talk about not eating here. Again, I didn't say that suke's bad. But you understand... Right away in the temptation, Satan is going right after Jesus. He's saying, you know, is it Zoe for you or is it Suke? Come on, you can have the whole world, the whole world. No, I don't think so. I think I'm going to follow the Father. Man does not live on bread alone. Is that how you think? I don't very often. How about stilling the seas? Master, wake up, we're dying. Don't you care about us? Don't you care about that we're going to die? Midst of a storm, is he worried about physical dying? About us? No, he's sleeping like a baby. How about Calvary? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Can't we look at the entire life of our Lord and see very little love for Suke. The Son of Man has no place to put his head. No home. Kicked out of his own hometown. His family. 
thought he was crazy. His disciples abandoned him. He was stoned. He was rejected. Ultimately, going through the horrors of the cross. Suke, life on earth for our Lord, was not a happy time. Now, he had joy. Don't get me wrong. Difference between happiness and circumstances and joy, isn't there? So, we see gospel life in the Son, Zoe, reinforced in the life of Christ. How about in the miracles of Christ? Think about the miracles. First of all, think about how early on in the Lord's ministry, they love following him. I mean, turned the water into wine, fed the 5,000. This is great stuff. This is so cool. It was. But what happened when he stopped doing all the big miracles? Crowds thinned out a little bit, didn't they? How about the fact that he didn't heal everybody all the time in every city? That shows that his emphasis wasn't on healing, was it? It wasn't on suke. How about when he told some of the people he'd healed, and he said, you know, don't tell anybody. If he wanted suke to abound, then he would have said, please tell everybody, I'm the healer. But that wasn't his purpose. And we can look at individual situations like the paralytic. When the friend brought him in and dropped him down, and what does he do? He takes care of his spiritual issues before healing him. How about the blind man in John chapter 9? We're going to talk about him in about four weeks. Was his physical sight really what he needed? Of course not. When he met Jesus face to face at the end of John 9, he fell down and worshipped him. Not because he had his physical sight, because God had given him spiritual sight. Well, life of Christ and the miracles of Christ. How about in the language of death for believers? Sleep. Isn't this sweet? This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Zoe life, eternal life. John 3.16. Anybody know that verse? Ken, what's that verse? Shall not perish. What does that mean? Shall not perish. I mean, aren't we all going to perish? We're not going to perish. That's what this means. We won't die. We will sleep. Isn't that sweet? We don't die. Where else is that mentioned? You know, a lot of places. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, fallen asleep. But I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Old Testament, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Isn't that wonderful? Where else do we have pictures of sleeping? What's a big one? that? One of the more compelling ones that we remember. How about Stephen when he was... Remember that? Stephen when he uh, says, Lord... Do not hold this against them. And then it said, having said this, he fell asleep. That's comforting to me. Now, that doesn't mean that death isn't hard at all. Physical death, I've been around it. Most of you have. It's hard. But but it's not death, ultimately, for a believer. It's falling asleep. How about in the language of our home for believers? Tents. We live in a tent. The best text for this is 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, 
Because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. That's Zoe. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Think of any other New Testament texts where tents are mentioned. How about the transfiguration? Where Peter wanted to, let me make three tents for y'all. Like they needed a tent. Isn't that funny? Because you start to think about it now. Peter's thinking totally suke, isn't he? Hey, you need a tent. You know? I mean, they just come down from heaven. It's really funny. I mean, that whole story's funny. Lord, let me tell you what to do. You know, I've got an idea. And, I mean, very entertaining. I can only imagine... As they talked about that later on. Remember that story with Peter up there? They're still talking about it. Well, how about you? Do you think of your home as a tent? Do you? Or do you think somehow that when you die, there's going to be a United Van Lines truck attached to your hearse? Trust me, some people think like that. Many believers think like that. I think like that at times think like that and I live like that at times. How about in the language of directing our lives? For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now that's good words, isn't it? He's not saying that Things on earth aren't important. He's not saying that what we eat and what we put on isn't of any value. What the word of God is saying is, is pursue Zoe. Get it in the right perspective. It's about Zoe, not about Suke, primarily. Now, that has implications for all kinds of things, doesn't it? If you're a single person, that's Suke. Getting married is suke. It is. Now, it's easy for me to say because I'm married. You know, but it's still true. Pursue Zoe. Single people pursue Zoe. Pursue him. Know Christ. And trust that uh, as one of the lines in Pilgrim's Progress, believe steadfastly concerning things that are invisible. Do you believe that to be true? That the word of God is true. That if you pursue him, he will take care of those things. These things. It's hard. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Set your mind on what? Things above. Zoe things, not on things below. Suke things. By the way, anybody know what the score of the game is? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you see how, I mean, we, we live with our mind below. We, we, it, we struggle with it. One more verse on how Scripture directs us. And this is a wonderful verse. And we'll use this, uh, we, we used this earlier. Before, we spent time focused on this. But how about that for us? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Ultimately, when we say, set your mind on things above, isn't that what we're saying? Fixing our eyes on the Lord. Peter, he's walking on the water. He's doing great. And his eyes are off the Lord. Setting our eyes on the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we're going to talk more and more about that over 12 weeks because that's going to be so important for all of us to encourage one another in this path. One more. Gospel life in the Son, Zoe, in the life of Christ, in the miracles of Christ, in the language of death for believers, sleep, in the language of our home for believers, tents, in the language of directing our lives. How about in the language of directing our prayers? Now, when I say just one more, there's probably a lot more. But look at, how about just the Lord's Prayer itself? What does the Lord's Prayer tell us 
about Suke and Zoe? Anybody? What, but what do we just see from the prayer? Yes? Absolutely. Anything else? Yes? Right? On earth as it is in heaven? That's interesting, isn't it? What we see in this, we do see, give us this day our daily bread. And I didn't continue with the rest of it. Lead us not into temptation. Because what I wanted you to see primarily is that the priority of the prayer. You see how it starts with Zoe stuff. Is that how your prayers start? Lord, I thank you. I love you. I want to be close to you. I want to know you more. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Help me follow your will. Help me be about your kingdom. Most of my prayers are, Lord, I'm hungry, I'm suffering, I need to close this deal and business. I've got a relationship that's not doing too well. I need my wife to be more obedient. You know, those are the kind of prayers that I have. And you see the difference? How about in Ephesians? You've been waiting for this, some of you Ephesians people. Um, How about this prayer? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, do you see any suke-related content in that prayer? Zippo. Now, there's suke-related content in a lot of the prayers in the Psalms. David will pray, Lord, take care of my enemy. Lord, I'm hurting. I'm lonely. Protect me. Nothing wrong with that. But it is interesting, if you study those prayers, where the emphasis really is. It's more on Zoe, particularly in Paul's prayers. You look at his two prayers in Ephesians and Colossians, and there's nothing. I, I like to look at them. Somebody called this heat prayers and heart prayers. Heat prayers are fix it, resolve it, take care of the issue. That's what we all pray. Heat prayers, heat of the moment. But heart prayers are change me, help me draw near, help me grow as a believer, give me more love and patience, fix my pride. Uh, You might have noticed that that's only 18 and 19. Anybody notice that? Any of the sharp students? Well, verse 20. Anybody know what verse 20 is? The very next verse without looking it up? You're looking it up? I know. You, You can. Well, verse 20 is a pretty exciting verse for me because you're sitting here thinking, man, I wish I had more Zoe and less Suke. Where do I start? How can I, what's a good place for me to be more thinking about things above than things below? Well, verse 20. These are in accordance with working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Basically, this power that Paul is praying for the Ephesians that is a good model for us, it's that resurrection life that he's praying for, that he might experience and know that resurrection life in him, that Zoe life. That gospel life in the sun. So this week I'm just going to exhort you to do that. Myself to do it. Lord, I want to think more about things above. I want to understand. Show me the things that I don't, that are influencing me here too much. What are they? Now, it's pretty common terminology today. People are calling all of those things that we might love too much idols. Um... I don't, I think we just love them too much. I think an idol is a lot worse than that. Okay? An idol is a, a concrete item that takes over our affection entirely. And, and therefore, if we start using terms like that loosely, um, then, then what do we do with an idol if you're a Christian? How do I take care of my idol of loving the seventh, loving Major League Baseball, or my idol of golf, or my idol of grandchildren, or my idol of eating, or whatever? I mean, the reality, it's not quite like that. 
the reality is we have a spiritual battle to walk by faith in believing in Zoe-type things, setting our minds on things above and not on things below. We struggle with that. And by the way, everybody that you're ministering to on the difficult trials of life are struggling with that. They're being influenced by that. The questions that they want to get resolved are usually, fix my marriage, right? Help my husband to love me more. By the way, nothing wrong with that, but that's suke, ultimately, isn't it? But that's what everybody wants. They want behavior fixed. Are people wanting Zoe things when they go to counselors? Sometimes. I'm not anti-counseling. That's not really the, the thing. That I'm, I'm just saying, what is going on with, with that? We're going to understand it more next week as we get into the competition. Let me give you a couple more verses to uh, ponder here before we close. These were sobering verses for me. For whoever wishes to save his life, his suke, will lose it. But whoever loses his suke, for my sake and the gospels, will save it. Now that's sobering, isn't it? It's not just about, this is not a casual attitude towards suke. The rich young ruler learned that, didn't he? But the whole idea behind that, you know, he hasn't asked us to give up everything that we want, but he asked him, and he didn't want to do it because his suke was what he loved. He wanted his money. Anything, Lord, but that. Or maybe I should finish with a verse that has both a Zoe and suke word in it together. He who loves his suke loses it. And he who hates his suke in this world will keep it to life, Zoe eternal. Now that's a little bit more sobering than the other verse. I mean, is he saying we're supposed to hate this stuff? Hate it? I don't think that's exactly what that means, but that's what that says. And it's worthy of consideration relative to Zoe. It's placing two things before us. How much do we love the things on earth? How much do we love the things above? So, two calls can be made. One call is influenced by life under the sun. One might be influenced, hopefully, more by life in the sun. One is driven and affected by me at its center. I want things resolved. I want issues fixed. I want to be validated. I want to have significance. I want to be loved. I want to be taken care of. I want to be respected. I want to be affirmed. I want to have an identity solved. I want to be useful. I, I, I. Anything wrong with wanting to be loved? No. Want to be, no. But how strongly is that influencing you? Or is it me at the center or... One is centered and based on my joy with the presence of Christ. Totally different, aren't they? One suke, one zoe. One is impacted by the circumstances and cares of this world and how they've created value and become attachments to me. I will tell you that nearly every marriage problem is related to this. I know marriages of couples that that don't have great relationships anymore. They don't have, they don't, they don't really have what you would call on earth a great marriage. But they're united in Christ and they're proclaiming the gospel as a couple. Now, that's pretty significant, isn't it? But how many of you have heard marriage counselors in good churches, solid Bible churches say, well, look, God doesn't, really want your children to see that you're not happy. And it'd probably be much better if you got divorced now, your children could see that that you're happy and things are okay. And you don't want your children to see that you're unhappy, do you? You see how suke-driven that is? But that comes from strong believers in good, solid Bible churches because of that. 
One is impacted by the Holy Spirit, my brothers and sisters around me, and my longing to please and draw near to him. So aren't we tugged between the two? Is anybody here not tugged between the two? I mean, Romans 7 is all about that, isn't it? It doesn't use those terms quite, but that's what it's about. We're tugged between these two places, these two words, these two kingdoms, these two types of life. And somehow, in the last 70 years, it's my view that in the last 70 years, some beliefs have crept into our Christian belief system that have put us much more towards suke. And I would say 90% of the Bible churches, solid Bible churches, not CBC. I know most of the people at CBC. But I, I assure you, it's at CBC. It's at Believer's Chapel where I go. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But nobody's going to be asking the questions that we're going to go through over the next 11 weeks or so. Because everybody is comfortable with counseling and professional counseling. Renee said the other day to me, uh, to Karen, she said that she, it's just interesting in, in, in her world how many of her friends and, and all were so immersed in, in, in counseling of some kind or another. And, and, and the whole idea that somehow in the body of Christ, that there's something gospel life in the body of Christ where we might care for one another on these difficult situations, that that's even possible. And I hope at the end of the class you'll see it's not just possible, but it's where real life is for believers. It's where your joy will be in doing this kind of ministry. So next week we're going to get into what J.I. Packer called the new gospel the competitor to the gospel life, this resurrection life in the sun, is a new gospel that's crept in in the last 70 years, and it has been toxic, and it's influenced the body of Christ in such a way, and you need to know about it. You need to see how it's crept in. And by the way, it still impacts me because it crept in back. I'm kind of a problem because it crept in in our generation in the 60s, 50s and 60s, and the younger generation, my children are suffering because of what we allowed to creep into the body of Christ. And it's not just in the body of Christ, it's in our seminaries. And I assure you, it's still in each of you to some degree. And so we want to look at that. And once we clarify that, and we get our arms around the competitor to this life in the sun, this gospel life, then we'll move on to our second worldview point, which will be in a couple more weeks. This week, think about these texts. How much of this was a little bit new for you tonight? Anything? Did you hear anything new at all? Good. Well, Hampton, would you close us?